You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Every year, the London Metal Exchange, which is arguably the most important metals exchange in the world, has a week. It's called LME Week, obviously. And if you are in the business of copper, aluminium, nickel, lead or tin and other metals as well, then this is the only place to be. LME Week concluded at the end of last week and George Cheveley, Portfolio Manager at 91 in London, was there and he gives us now a few of the key takeouts that he gleaned from this very, very important event. What was the mood like, George? Yeah, the mood was pretty mixed. It actually was quite bearish at the beginning of the week, though it did improve a bit through the week. But, um, you know, a lot of commercial people were here, uh, miners and their customers, and Certainly, they see, you know, at the moment, sort of slowing demand, uh, particularly in Europe and to some extent in the States. In fact, the bright spot, surprisingly, has been China this year, where metal demand has held up and actually been positive in most cases, much more than people expected. Most people are talking about copper, an old metal but uh, forging a new path in new industries was a lot of the talk around copper. Yes, there was a lot of talk around copper. It is always a popular subject. And really, you know, it's it's funny because the long-term story, the transition story, we require a huge amount of copper for EVs, for renewable energy, for building out grids, is still very much intact. But we have seen, you know, as always, cycles, and we've seen a slight slowdown in demand in some places. And at the same time, we've actually have a surge in supply currently ongoing. Several new mines have started up this year and more coming next year. So actually the outlook in the short term is pretty muted. In fact, a number of people think they expect copper prices to fall in the short term. But they all agree that beyond 25, the prospects still look exceedingly strong. Do you think that the mines that you've just mentioned, the new projects that you've just uh, alluded to, are going to be enough to plug the supply shortfall, if you like? They are enough in the short term. I mean, we have at least 5% growth in mine supply for copper coming over the next year. And it's difficult to expect global demand for copper to be more than that. So we will probably see stocks build as we're starting to see already. But once you go beyond 2025 and certainly 26, 27, there is a real lack of new projects. And in fact, talking to many miners last week, they just say the current price is not high enough to justify the spend on new projects because capital costs have gone up markedly in the last three years with inflation and they just cannot justify the numbers yet at current prices. Okay, what about other metals? I mentioned, I threw a few names around, aluminium, nickel, lead, tin. I imagine there's been over the last year or so divergent performances price-wise. What have you noticed? Yeah, it's interesting. On aluminium, we've seen uh, a pretty flat performance price-wise, but in fact, prospects continue to improve there. And in fact, certainly the market seems more positive on aluminium um, in the shorter term than copper, I would say. And really for two reasons. One, we're actually trading into the cost curve. That means there are marginal smelters actually losing money today. And therefore, that sort of protects the downside any further down and we'll lose production. And in fact, Russell actually mentioned yesterday, the Russians, that current prices that they can't afford to keep running and they're looking at their facilities. Obviously, the second thing is a lot of that Russian aluminium, they are 
producing is increasingly not wanted around the world. And we're seeing a lot of customers cancelling contracts or not renewing contracts for Russian aluminium, which makes it harder to sell as well. At the same time, the Chinese have capped um, capacity for aluminium because they don't want to produce any more CO2. And they're up pretty close to that cap. So we don't see much growth in Chinese supply. The final bit of the puzzle is aluminium demand is being, frankly, driven at the moment by solar panel production, where it is a key element both for the frames and even for the supports to put those panels on. And we've seen at least an extra million tonnes of aluminium. That's one and a half, two percent global growth just in solar panels this year. So, you know, that transition element is very important. So aluminium prospects are actually improving. The prices are still low, but we see prospects continue to improve. Conversely, if you look at nickel, which is obviously seen as a big transition metal used in EVs, batteries, but also stainless steel, prospects are seen there much, much worse. And that's purely a supply story. The Indonesian low-grade nickel sources, the Chinese have worked out how to produce good quality nickel using high-pressure acid leach um, from these vast resources in Indonesia. And the nickel market looks like it's going to be an oversupply now for several years as this nickel comes through. So it's not like the old days when I used to be a commodities trader where you'd look to Canada almost exclusively for where the nickel price was going. No, it's actually probably one of the biggest technological revolutions we've seen in a metals market in many decades. I mean, this is low-grade, very low-grade nickel ore which the Chinese have now been building facilities mainly to produce a nickel pig iron, which goes into stainless steel. But they've now worked out how to convert this ore into class one, we call it, or nickel sulfate, which can be used in batteries. And the fact is, Indonesia, New Caledonia, you know, these islands are pretty much, you know, the, the, as people say, they're pretty much just islands of nickel laterite ore. So the Gosh. resources are endless there. Just paint the picture before we get on to uh, what you gleaned from the week and how it might affect your strategy at 91. So what happens is the producers and the consumers get together. In other words, the, the buyers and the miners, or the other way around. Traders and brokers and investors all get together. And it's not just a black tie dinner. It's not just a few drinks at the bar afterwards and then they toddle off to their hotel rooms. There's a lot more going on, George. Yeah, no, it's it's a very big commercial week. This is a, a lot of business is done. They're discussing essentially, you know, what they're going to supply next year, what quantities and at what price or premium to LME price. Um, and in concentrates, they're talking about treatment charges. And, and, and this is where they catch up. So, you know, there are miners from all around the world and customers. Um, notably this year, Chinese clients were all back in force. Um, post the lockdowns and very happy to be here. So we're seeing a, a huge number of customers around the world. And it's an amazing week to get a view on what people are seeing. And as I say, it was pretty cautious short term, but still the long term story remains intact. And people, even the bearish people were saying we don't see prices falling that much from here. One, because cost inflation is supporting them. And two, Many people are looking next year as an opportunity of prices to buy more metal or in companies' cases to buy other companies. So there's almost a sense some people are waiting for the fall. And we all know when that's the case, the fall rarely happens or is rarely as big as people expect. 
want to talk about gold. Gold, obviously, not um, particularly associated with the London Metal Exchange, but because of recent geopolitical developments, which need not detain us at the moment, the details of which need not detain us. Uh, but gold has spiked. Is there sort of talks on the side about metals like gold or, or even PGMs? No, well, clearly gold has, you know, um, attracted a lot of attention for obvious reasons. The fact is, though, it isn't just about the conflict. The fact is we had a very important few weeks in bond markets and then a reaction from the Fed, which we mustn't ignore. So if one remembers the FOMC meeting in September, the Fed made it clear they were looking at rates higher for longer. And they've been saying that for a while but for whatever reason, the market finally listened. And we saw bond rates react very violently and suddenly over the last few weeks and a, a massive leg move higher as the market started to price that. The irony, of course, and gold subsequently fell. We saw gold fall $100 uh, back below 1900 The irony, of course, is then the Fed came out and said, you know, market, you've finally done what we wanted you to do. You pushed up long-term rates. We don't need to do so much work anymore. And now people see the Fed pausing and even the prospect of, of falls next year. And that has certainly been behind gold's rally as well. It's not just about the conflict. We've seen the market going, ah, we finally um, seen that those rates, those real rates have moved up. And, and the Fed doesn't have to do so much work. Of course, what it does mean is those higher rates is going to put more pressure on the U.S. economy particularly. And we could see a further slowdown, which is why on the base metals we see more caution. But for gold, certainly that has sort of, you know, ironically, we gold fell and has bounced back, you know, within two weeks. So, again, a volatile month for gold. But a reminder always that, you know, having gold in your portfolio is, you know, something that can help you when trouble occurs. And it's something you need to hold because it's impossible to time. I mean, you know, if you'd tried to trade the last four weeks, you, you would have struggled to make money. We'll come to your strategy towards gold and other metals and other equities later on. Um, but uh, you talked about companies not being able to justify uh, initiating new projects, whether they be greenfield or brownfield. Does that mean that um, there'll be some people getting together or got together last week and said, OK, maybe we should join forces? In other words, merger and acquisition activity. Yes, I mean, that is uh, certainly one of the topics last week. Uh, you know, meeting people around, there is clearly a lot of talks going on around that. We obviously have situations like tech looking to sell their coal and Glencore showing interest in that. We've got BHP just uh, looking to sell uh, coal mines in Australia, um, probably to Whitehaven, it's been announced this morning. So we are seeing some deals coming. We've got uh, Newmont just about to complete their deal to buy Newcrest in the next few weeks. And that will probably then lead to sale of some smaller assets by Newmont after that. So we are seeing that activity and that's likely to lead to more activity. And in fact, I think we are getting to a point next year where a number of firms are saying we really need to act. And as you say, when they look at the cost of building it themselves, they go, actually, it's much cheaper to buy than build. OK, your strategy now, whether it be in the sphere of the red metal or the yellow metal or anything in between, please tell us. 
So the Global Natural Resources Strategy, we remain overweight energy at this stage because we still see good prospects for energy prices and particularly energy equities. Um, The oil prices we've obviously seen move up this year and it is clear Saudi Arabia will defend that oil price and have been uh, quite deliberately. So we feel the downside to oil prices is fairly limited. Upside, we don't see a great deal, but at these oil prices, the cash flows and earnings for oil and gas equities are extremely strong um, and we continue to see great valuation there. On the metal side, we favour precious, not surprisingly over basin bulks because we see a slowdown coming, but we're being very particular within basin bulks. We like some diversifieds and we like aluminium. We're more cautious on copper and steel at this stage just because we see them as slightly more oversupplied or less profitable at this stage. And agriculture, we remain pretty robust. We're just overweight. Uh, Fertiliser prices are rebounding after a softer year this year, and we're seeing good opportunities there across that space. And then clearly in the gold fund, we remain definitely in gold equities primarily and and continue to see um, good valuations there. And in fact, I think pretty exciting prospects for that fund through 24 both as I think gold prices can probably move higher. We're seeing improvement in production from a number of companies having got through the disruption of COVID, which was still having some effect. And I think we will also see more M&A as we see the big guys sell off assets and, and other players start to move. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about 24. I think certainly on the pressure side, I think on the natural resources side, I actually see it as a fantastic year to get in and get exposure because the prospects certainly beyond that still look amazing. What a great way to end a great conversation. Thank you very much, George. George Cheveley is a portfolio manager at 91 based in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.